Before we get started with this week's episode, hey, go to Facebook and search for the Weekly Wealth Podcast Group. Join it. uh, Get involved. We have some great conversations about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies that can help you to build and maintain wealth. Also, for the business owners, uh, check out my website, www.allofmyassets.com. This is really useful if you have now or at some point will consider selling your business to fund all or part of your retirement. So check that out. And finally, really excited to have attorney Ryan Steiger on this episode, but please make sure you understand this is general information. This is not legal advice. And if you have any specific questions about any legal issue, make sure you contact your own licensed attorney. And I hope that you enjoy this episode. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner, David Chudik where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast. I could not be more excited today. We have a TikTok uh, phenomenon on with us today. And this is something that uh, you don't see every day. We have an attorney who's actually a good dude, a moral and ethical attorney. So here's something that you don't see every day. But uh, Ryan Steiger works in employment law, and he's going to actually do something today. He's going to help help to prevent his services from being needed. He's going to tell business owners how to not get sued and to follow employment law. So, uh, hey, Ryan, how are you? David, doing great. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, yeah. So I got it on TikTok a few months ago and and I ran into this guy who's always talking about employment law and he's everywhere. And uh uh so yeah, tell us a little bit about your TikTok journey and and how that's helped your business. Absolutely, David. Well, uh one thing people need to know about me is I'm a second career attorney. I was a firefighter before I was a lawyer. Uh, So I I do understand some of the pain points of what it's like to be a working class, blue collar person showing up early every day, working very hard and sometimes not making that much money. Uh, With that in mind, I started my workers' rights firm, Centurion Trial Attorneys, a few years ago. Uh, I'm the CEO of this firm, and we focus on education first. Now, TikTok came about right around when the pandemic was happening. A lot of things changed. And we decided that the best way to fulfill our mission was to make sure people actually understood the law, because as important as these rights are to people, they don't teach it in school. And once you're in the workforce, sometimes it's too late. Uh, So we started putting out bite-sized little lessons on TikTok, little things. When are you entitled to overtime? What is FMLA leave? Can you get maternity leave? How do you know if you've been illegally fired? These are questions people ask every day, and there weren't a lot of answers. So these short little videos we found almost immediately were going viral. There was a lot of input from the community, some negative, but mostly positive. Uh, And it's just been history ever since. People are really reacting positively to the message that, hey, we can all make more money and live better if we understand our rights. You know, I always say that the things we learn in school, we learn Shakespeare, nothing wrong with Shakespeare. We learn when the dinosaurs live, nothing against dinosaurs, but we don't learn the basics of the law. We don't learn money. We don't learn health. We don't learn relationships. And a lot of these things are really important to help you to just live a good life. 
So uh, I, I appreciate what you're doing. And <clears throat> the other side of that is, guess what? You are a small business owner and you have employees. I'm a small business owner. I have employees. And a large part of our audience are small business owners. So um, I wanted to take the time kind of from the employment rights guy and talk about maybe how the small business owners can be better employers and not break laws, not get sued. Um, and just, you know, so everybody can win. The employees can win. The employers can win. So, so look, dude, I'm, you know, I work hard. Sometimes I make money. Sometimes I don't make money. I'm not an attorney. I don't want to get sued for employment violation. So like, what's the biggest way to not get sued for, for treating, you know, employees the wrong way for laws that I may not even know exist? Yeah, absolutely, David. You know, the first way to not get sued is to simply not break the law. But that can be very difficult because the law is very complicated. And sometimes you can be honestly trying to do the right thing and accidentally break the law. That's where a lot of wage and hours uh, violations come from. So really, the best way is to be nice, be pleasant to work for. It doesn't mean you have to be a pushover. You're still the leader of your company. You're still the boss. But if you are nice and your employees like you, even if you make a mistake, even if you make a big mistake, they're going to be forgiving. They might even help you. Because in my experience, employees don't sue bosses who they like. They help bosses who they like. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. You know, you put out a video that I saw just about an employer was requiring their employees to be to work 15 minutes early, which to be honest, I mean, to me, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. You're not violent. You're just so, but, but obviously it's not legal. And what could happen? Let's say if I do require my employees to be here 15 minutes early, like what could the ramifications for me be if I'm breaking again, not, I mean, you're breaking a law, but it, it, it's probably not the most serious law ever. And if it's just honestly out of ignorance, I just want you to be here ready to work by, by nine o'clock. So get here 15 minutes early so you can get your stuff ready. Uh, that's a really interesting point you brought up, David, and I'm glad we're talking about it because the, the people's gut reaction when they hear that video is they get angry. They say, oh, my gosh, you're saying don't work hard. You're discouraging professionalism and work ethic. Why can't I require employees to be ready to work at nine? And they are absolutely right. You have every right as the business owner to expect your employees to be ready to work at the time they are called to work for you. The mistake that gets made by employers is they try to institute a policy that essentially boils down to, well, if you're not early, you're late. Be here 15 minutes early. Be here 30 minutes early. Be ready to work. If you have a policy that effectively says an employee's start time is not six o'clock, but 5.45 or 5.30. Well, you've created a schedule now and you have exercised control over that employee's time and you've created a rule that they must be on site. Now, under the Fair Labor Standards Act, that's a federal law that applies to all 50 states, that's often going to be considered hours worked. So what you've created now as the business owner, and, this, and it's an innocent mistake you can make, you've created a situation where now every day every employee is not being compensated for a quarter or a half an hour. This can blow up really, really quickly. This is where a lot of PAGA claims in the state of California and class actions uh, will arise. So people might think, you know, oh, it's just 15 minutes, it's just 30. Well, when we multiply it by every shift, by every employee, you can face hundreds of thousands of dollars of liability. That's why it's so important to have a strict attendance policy 
and uphold high standards of professionalism, but don't cross that line of saying, hey, you need to be here unpaid for 15 minutes before your shift. You need to be here 30 minutes unpaid before your shift. That's where you get into trouble. But if someone is late, if they're not prepared to work at nine, uh, if they arrive at 9.05, you can discipline them. You can have the do better talk, but requiring them to show up early is going to get you in trouble. So what about the the other side of that? What about can I dock pay? Let's say you're my employee and your shift starts at nine, but every day you roll in at nine, you make coffee, you chit chat, you go microwave your breakfast, you eat breakfast, and you're not actually working till 9.15. Does the other way, does it work the other way that I could dock you or do, how how should I handle that as an employer? Great question. And that's probably one of the biggest concerns I hear from people who say, all right, Ryan, I understand it's an FLSA violation. I can't require them to show up unpaid early, but what if they are wasting my time? What if they're not actually working when they're here? Uh, the trouble with that, and the FLSA has an answer to it, uh, the minute they are on site because you've required them to be on site, it's generally compensable time. They have to be paid. So now the analysis is, well, what's my obligation as a leader? How do I make sure that these sort of time-wasting behaviors aren't occurring? Uh, I would encourage, I, I call it a do-better talk. You got to talk to the employees first. It, it's a mistake to rush to a cut and pay. Uh, I don't really see how you'd be able to dock them pay if they've actually arrived on site. But you can have things like, hey, discretionary bonus, it's not coming this corner. We need your, we need your performance to improve. Hey, no, no raise right now. You know, hey, we've given you a write-up. We need you to, to exert a little more effort. Um, if your first remedy is cutting pay, I think you're missing a lot of opportunities to get the best out of someone. And before uh, I, I kick it back to you, David, one thing I want to point out is if you're an employer, uh, progressive discipline is something you use for an employee who you really see a lot of potential in. If someone is really just not working out and you don't have a lot of faith that it's going to get better, it's better to just let them go. Progressive discipline is used when you think someone can really rise to the occasion. That's my last bit of advice on that. Perfect. Well, I love that you're giving practical advice, but also legal advice. And ultimately, the employer employee relationship should be a win win for both and you know it 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 absolutely can be and in many cases it is as long as um you know there is a a good relationship so i wanted to talk about some different terms that probably quite frankly i don't understand and if you polled hundreds of business owners you'd probably get 99 to 100 different answers and and uh, this is not going to be legal advice. This is going to be general, and, and you can add into any kind of legal disclaimer you would like since you're the lawyer here. But um, I'm under the impression if I have employees and it's a right to work state, I mean, I could just, you know, I can fire you right now because this is right to work and you could leave because that's what right, right to work means, right? So am I wrong there? Uh, you're right and you're wrong. So okay. uh, the way that works is in every state except Montana. The default rule is, yes, you can fire most employees for any legal reason. Not any reason. It has to be legal. Uh, But when people talk about, well, this is a right-to-work state, that's a misunderstood term. Right-to-work laws mean that you have the right to work for an employer without joining a union. In other words, union membership can't be a condition of employment. 
that's very different than how it's used, uh, particularly in, in the South. It's become almost like local colloquy down there. They say right to work state. But what they really mean is at will. So here's the thing. At will employment means you can be fired for any legal reason. Right to work state means union membership can't be required for the job. They're not opposites, but they're not the same thing either. So you said you can be fired for any legal reason. What are the illegal reasons why someone could could not be fired? Great question. One of the misconceptions that people have is that the only illegal reason would be firing someone due to race, religion, gender, things like that. It's true. You can't fire for discriminatory reasons, but that is just the tip of the iceberg. Other violations would include things like firing an employee because they've expressed interest in joining a union, firing an employee because they've requested maternity leave, firing an employee because they've requested an accommodation for a disability, uh, termination and retaliation for reporting sexual harassment, reporting missing wages, things of that nature are going to get you in trouble. Wow. Wow. But now, just because you might have a disability and you are asking for some accommodations, does not mean that you're a great employee. So that could be very sticky if you deserve to be fired for performance, but yet, so is that where people like you and and other attorneys really need to get involved with small businesses to help navigate that uh, for the small business owner? It's a tricky situation. And look, I'm the workers' rights guy, and my default is I stand up for the worker. Uh, because they generally have the least amount of power and least amount of resources. Uh, that said, my heart goes out to small business owners. It's tricky. You got an employee who you, you were kind of thinking of letting them go. They're not doing so well. Uh, and right about when you're going to make the decision, they say, hey, hurt my ankle. I need an accommodation. And now you're thinking, I was going to let this guy go. Now I can't. What do I do? Here's your options. Uh, when someone requests a reasonable accommodation, first of all, the rule is you're supposed to engage in an interactive process with them. You're supposed to sit down with them, talk about the uh, key duties of their job, make sure they can still perform those with help, and then find ways to help them. Now, if that help, if that accommodation would be an undue hardship on you, it's unreasonably expensive, it requires certain expertise you don't have, then you don't have to do it. There's another way you can get, uh, but that's probably a gray of, area as well, right? Yeah, the, the workers' is, attorney and the specific. employer's attorney could probably disagree on those. Yeah, uh, that does happen, and I've been in cases where we've had to bring in experts to determine whether the accommodation was reasonable, whether it was necessary, whether it was an undue hardship. That's something we can fight about. Uh, but most of the time, if you're making a good faith determination. Uh, and maybe if you get a little bit of help, you're going to be okay. Now, the tricky thing is, well, we were going to let this bad employee go anyway. What you want to do then is make sure you're documenting performance. And that's that goes for a couple of reasons. First of all, you should be tracking employee performance. Because if you want to be a really good leader, if you want to be a knock-it-out-of-the-park good leader and get the most from your people, you need to accept mentorship as part of your responsibility helping people improve, identifying what they do well, what they do poorly, and helping them get better. So that paper trail of, hey, you know, John asked us for an accommodation, but, you know, we have three months of write-ups. He's not showing up late. He's not showing up on time. He's not doing his duties. He's not being respectful. Uh, you could let someone go for a bona fide business reason. There's no rule that says you have to keep employees who aren't performing. So as long as you have that paper trail, it's going to protect you. Paper trails protect both parties. They protect the employee from discrimination. 
and they protect the employer from an unfounded or unfair claim. I like it. And I've noticed on quite a few of your TikTok videos, you, you talk about paper trails when when resigning and, and, and having complaints and things like that. And I think that's just plain protecting yourself. So let's say this, let's say I own David's restaurant and I've, you know, I've gone into debt to, to build a building and to buy equipment and um sometimes revenue is not all that strong. Other times it is, and I make good money. You're Ryan, you're part of the wait staff. I mean, I deserve some of your tips because without my restaurant, right, you wouldn't be there working and I have all of this risk. Um, so 20% of your tips should should be fair to go back to the restaurant, right? Uh, no, um, that, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a, a very scary combination of words. It's a good way to get into a lot of trouble. <laughs> so look, I understand the reasoning that restaurant owners come from, uh, but here's what they need to understand. The gratuity, it belongs to the employee once it's paid to them. You can have what's called a tip pool. That's where you gather all of the gratuities earned by the staff and you distribute them sometime after the shift. That's okay. But the law does not allow anyone with hiring and firing power to participate in that tip pool. Can't be taking a portion of people's tips. Uh, not only is it considered a form of wage theft, it's considered a form of outright theft. Conversion is what we call it. But in some states, if you take enough tips, it actually becomes a criminal issue. We actually step outside of the civil world where we're just arguing about money. And now we're in the criminal world where we're talking about jail time. So you got to be careful with that. Now, even though it's illegal for you, the owner, or a manager with hiring and firing power to take from the tick pool, there's no rule that says that if a customer likes you and you are doing tip-performing work and you get a tip, you, you can keep the tip that's paid to you. If you're a, a valet business owner and you park a car, the guy slips you a five, that's your five. You keep it. If you're jumping in because your waiters are overworked and you're serving tables, someone tips you, that's yours. You can keep that. But you can't reach over and take any of their tips. So that's interesting. And <clears throat> there's a grocery store chain in my area that has a no tipping policy. I wasn't even going to ask you this question, but I just thought about it. Is a no tipping for, for helping to carry groceries out. So is, I mean, that almost seems like how can they tell, um, have, a, have a no tipping policy? What's your thoughts on a no tipping policy? No tipping policies are interesting, and there's a few restaurants that have them. Uh, so here's some general comments on it, because it will vary slightly depending on what city, county, and state you are in. These are the general rules that'll keep you out of trouble, okay? You can have a no tipping policy. That's okay. You can ask customers not to tip, but there's really nothing stopping them from tipping if they want to. So if someone ignores the sign and tips a staff member anyway, let them keep it because now it's just become a gratuity. And if you take it, they now have a wage claim against you. So just let them have the tip. The idea of no tipping policies is more often than not, the restaurant has adopted a policy of paying above median wages, above market wages. They are paying what we would call a thriving or a living wage. So the gratuity is no longer necessary. But if you have a restaurant where you're paying just minimum wage and you have a no tipping rule, you can bet your staff is probably going to rebel against that. Either they're not going to work for you or they're going to accept tips from customers, uh, which in that case, you have to remember that your prices should reflect what kind of tipping policy you have. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. 
All right. So, so I own, I own David's business and uh, Ryan and John are both managers. And for whatever reason, I've made the decision that Ryan's going to make more money. Uh, I just feel like Ryan's a little bit more competent and uh, Ryan actually has a, a salary that's significantly higher. I don't want John to know that because that just can just create some awkwardness and, and who knows what. So I tell Ryan, look, you know, part of my company's policy is we're not allowed to talk about our salaries because I don't want you to because it it creates issues on my end. That seems perfectly reasonable, right? I understand the reasoning behind it. Unfortunately, the National Labor Relations Board, the National Labor Relations Act disagree. Uh, so let's talk about discussing salary at work because it's a lot of companies have this policy that discussing wages is grounds for termination, that it's unprofessional, that it creates a hostile work environment. Uh, strictly speaking, none of those are legally true. Employees have a guaranteed federally protected right to discuss pay and work conditions. Uh, specifically what the statute says is they have a right to participate in uh, concerted activities for mutual protection. Particularly that law was first enacted to protect people who are interested in forming a union, but uh, in the later days it's been expanded to include any talk about pay and work conditions. So you can't restrict people from discussing it. Now, if you have that policy, what happens? Well, the policy itself is illegal, but there's no damages. If you actually try to enforce it and you fire someone or cut their pay because they discussed pay, then you could face some civil liability. So the best practice is to be open about what people are being paid and why they are being paid that. There's a reason we say praise publicly, discipline privately. If people see that, okay, Ryan's making more money, why is he making more money? Having an open discussion about why that employee is making more is going to be a lot better than trying to keep it quiet because your employees are going to find out. They're going to talk to each other. And if you're not bringing it out into the open, they're going to assume you're hiding something. And it's that human inclination to sometimes ascribe the worst. Uh, they might assume that maybe you're being racist. Maybe you're being sexist. Maybe it's because they reported an unsafe condition. Maybe, you know, in the absence of open communication, suspicion thrives. So it's, I know it's counterintuitive for some employers, but it's really better to just follow the law and think about ways that we can be transparent. So if, if you work for my business and there's somebody else that does the same position, can I, and, and, and you both have the same amount of experience, same tenure, can I simply pay you more because I like you more? Um, you know, what about differences in pay? I... It's got, it, we look to the reason you like me more. Okay. Uh, some states like California do not mess around with unequal pay for equal work. You're going to get yourself into trouble pretty quickly. It's also, you know, uh, federal laws that you got to look out for. So here's the deal. If someone is genuinely performing better, you can measure with performance plans, with uh, quarterly metrics. You can measure and say, hey, customers say they really like dealing with David. Hey, David has a great attitude. He shows up to every meeting early and has great ideas for the team. Then you can justify paying that person more. But if you're just paying him more because I don't know, I just like him more, now we're opening the door for some kind of accusation of bias. So, you know, if, if you're truly being biased, then you got to work on that. Uh, but if it's just innocent, 
mistake, the better way to go about it is saying, hey, here are all the things this employee is doing great at. And that's why he's being paid more. And everyone else, if you want to get paid more like David, do what David does. David is setting an example. Let's take a quick break from the podcast. A lot of our listeners are business owners, and a lot of our business owners have in the back of their mind, the sale of their business will fund all or part of their retirement. If that describes you, go to www.allofmyassets.com slash value-builder-score. That's www.allofmyassets.com slash value-builder-score. You can take a questionnaire that takes less than 15 minutes and give you some really good insightful information on what portions of your business you can improve so that you can sell the business for a higher multiple when you're ready or even just have an easier and more profitable life today because a sellable business is a profitable business. Okay, let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, I really like your coaching advice because a lot of this is kind of, obviously there's the legal background behind it, but it's really just common sense when it comes down to it. Um, we can we can throw the laws in there and tell why some of these things might be illegal, but most of what you're saying is just smart business is, is what it sounds like, so. Uh, well, thank you, David. I'm, I'm inclined to agree. <laughs> but one thing I want to impress upon small business owners, because I know, I look, I get it. When you're a small business owner, it really feels like it's you against the world sometimes. Every letter from the IRS, the state franchise board, from the city, from all the bills, it clearly feels like it's you against the world. But it doesn't have to be that way. If you adopt a leadership mentorship mentality, if you adopt the idea that, hey, everyone who works for me can move up the chain, it, you know, maybe they're not going to be an owner, maybe they're not going to be a manager, but they can earn pay raises, they can earn bonuses, they can learn skills, they can get new responsibilities. If you have that mentality going in, they're going to work for you. They're going to work harder for you. And that's one group of people you won't have to worry about. If you treat them right and take an interest in their career, yeah, it's you against the IRS. Yeah, it's you against the state sometimes, regulations, expenses, whatever it is. But you won't have to worry about your employees because they will be on your side. Yeah. You know, I did a podcast with a guy named Doug Mitchell, and he he actually hosts a podcast called Building Great Sales Teams. And he's a consultant. And he he wrote a blog about how everybody says nobody wants to work anymore. And that's easy to say. But the the premise of his blog was, no, nobody wants to work for you. So let's make your organization desirable to work for. And in some cases, that means paying more. In some cases, it's not the money. It's maybe flexibility. Who knows what? But it's it's providing a work environment that attracts the people that you want. And of course, as long as you're going within all the laws that Attorney Ryan are going to tell you. But um, yeah, I do find that people will work. It's just um, it has to be in, 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 a, in a scenario, in a situation that works for them as well. Yeah, that's something I've heard quite a bit, that nobody wants to work anymore complaint. I, I got to be honest, uh, just in my personal experience, the people who say that uh, are not looking inward and they're not taking an honest assessment of what is happening in their business and how they behave. Being a business owner, it's a privilege and it's a wonderful opportunity. 
it's really fantastic to get to be a business owner, but it comes at a price. And the price, in my opinion, is leadership. And the price, in my opinion, is setting an example and really having the courage to look at yourself and say, would I work for me? Yeah, yeah. And you can't lie to yourself. You can't say, yeah, I'd pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'd work for free and really prove that I know you got to really ask where I am right now in America in 2022 with my fears, my expenses, my medical condition, my hopes and dreams, would I work for me? That's a sobering question. Yeah, yeah, it's a a tough one. It is. It's a tough one. It's definitely. And if your answer is no, then you've got work to do. But great news. There's so much help out there. There Mm -hmm. are so many people. And if your response is, well, I, I want to be good, but I'm just not a good people person. You know, I, I don't really know how to be a leader. I've never done it before. That's fine. That's your first hire. Yep. Someone who can fill that position for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's jump into uh, to another topic. Obviously, if you are an hourly part of my team, when you're clocked in, you get paid your hourly rate or or a portion of your hourly rate if you're working a portion of an hour. That, that, that's And then whatever the overtime laws for that state. But um, if I'm paying you a salary, how much can I require that you work if I'm paying you a salary, if you're a salaried person? I get a lot of questions from salaried people on my TikTok channel and my Instagram. Uh, Many of them get very frustrated. They say, Ryan, you don't talk about salary enough. Why don't you talk about salary more? I do talk about salary. The problem is people don't like what they hear. Because here's the truth. When you are salaried exempt, not just salary, you have to be salaried exempt. I'll explain that in a minute. When you are salaried exempt, you are literally exempt from the protections of the Fair Labor Standards Act. You don't get overtime pay. You don't get scheduled meal and rest breaks. And generally speaking, there is no cap to how much you can be required to work. So that salary is all inclusive of your time. Some people don't like that deal and they get upset. So here's the thing you need to look out for. If you're paid a salary, you got to make sure that you're actually exempt. Now, it's going to change state by state, but you must be paid at least a minimum amount every week uh, or every year to, to meet that threshold. So in the state of California, a salaried employee must make at least double the applicable minimum wage. The federal law says it has to be at least $684 a week. Your state may vary. That's part one of the test. You have to get paid enough. Part two of the test is you have to have the correct job duties. You cannot put someone on a salary if their job is primarily physical labor. Well, you can put them on a salary, but you can't make them exempt. You can't make them exempt if they spend half their day at a computer, but the other half of their day stacking pallets. They have to be an administrative or office-based white-collar professional. And when we meet both those tests, now we have an exempt employee. See, and and I get it, you know, as we haven't done a good job making these laws accessible and understandable to business owners. That's why I always think it's a good idea to talk to an employment attorney when you're about to hire people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a salaried exempt person, I mean, they are under the... um, under the mercy of the employer to some extent, right? As far as workload, I mean, can you make an argument that I'm salaried exempt, but you're just giving me way too much work for me to finish in a reasonable week? Or is it no, you're salaried exempt and you're exempt from those uh, from those time restrictions? Well, I'll tell you this much. The law is not going to intervene. If you're simply dissatisfied with your work-life balance, but you're genuinely salaried exempt, you can't sue the employer for that. At that point, you need to have an honest discussion. 
with your boss and say, mm-hmm. look, this is the work I'm doing. Uh, I need a raise or I need some time off or we need to hire someone to assist me. I need an assistant or someone to support me. Those are good conversations to have. And you as the employer need to look out for that. Look, I run a law firm notorious for late nights, early mornings, weekends. Uh, my, my people work really hard, but we do weekly check-ins and uh, I call it the mental health check. And I ask all my staff, hey, how are we doing? You know, how, how's your mental health? How are your stress levels? Uh, can you take on more cases? Do you want a break? Do you need help? Yeah, can someone come in and assist you? We have uh, all hands meetings where we actually present our pain points in certain cases that are stressing us out. And it's an opportunity for everyone to help each other. Uh, So far, we've done a good job preventing any burnout. And that's the kind of thing you need to do as an employer. It's very tempting to not want to hire people and want to keep the pressure on and keep people producing. But you have to treat it like a car. A human being cannot run full throttle indefinitely. Yeah, you're making good profits from their labor now. But when they burn out, burnout takes two to three times longer to recover from than you think it's going to. It's bad when it happens and it's a tough hole to climb out of. So you got to be proactive and look at how hard your people are working. Look at their hours and make sure that if someone needs help, it's a lot cheaper to hire help for them or to assist them than it is to just keep pushing. Again, just common sense type stuff is is what you're uh, what you're advising. So it, it is until people see the cash flow, and I, I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. Really, um, hiring is tough. Increasing mm-hmm. your payroll is tough. And mm-hmm. if you've got someone k- kicking it, doing 60, 70 hour weeks and producing revenue for you, the last thing you want to do is reduce that revenue. But you have to think short term gains versus long term pains. If this person's about to burn out, if what they're doing is not sustainable then that short-term gain isn't worth it. It's better to cut back a little bit and ease off the pressure just a little bit. Well, and if I'm working for you for 60, 70 hours a week, I can always go to the competition and say, look, if I pay me the same amount of money, here's everything I do for, for attorney Ryan. I do a really good job. I just really don't want to work more than 50 hours on a normal week. They may take me up on that and you may lose me completely too because there always is competition in the free market. It's absolutely possible. Uh, one of my newer associates who I've hired, we had almost that exact situation. Pay is the same, but uh, full remote. Yeah. Work from anywhere, totally flexible. You don't have to come into my office at 6 a.m. dressed to the tens. You don't have to dress like you're going to court and sit in our you know, artificially lit office while the partners may not even be there. You work from the comfort of your home. Uh, and I've attracted a lot of talent with that policy. Yeah. So what are some of the work from home considerations and dangers and just what do you advise employers for work from home? Because as an employer, it's easy for me to think, you know what, nobody's going to do what they're supposed to when they're at home. There's TV, there's kids, there's distractions. So what are some considerations for work at for employers who are allowing work from home? I'm so glad we're talking about this because I think that for the past 10, 15 years, we have been experiencing a shift in the way work is performed in the United States. And only in the past two years have we really started to measure whether an eight-hour workday in an office makes sense anymore. Now, there's some careers and jobs where they have to be physically present, okay? Firefighters can't work from home. I'm sorry. Uh, If you're working in a restaurant, you got to be there. Someone's got to cook the food. But for office jobs, for financial planners, for CPAs, for attorneys, for consultants, marketing people, 
uh, salespeople. Work from home is the way. What I encourage employers to do, and this is what I do, I don't focus on time. I really don't. I expect people to be reasonably available for me during normal working hours, but I don't care when you start work. All I care about is results. If you convert from a time-based model where you're measuring how much time someone is under your control and extend a results-driven model to them, saying, look, we're not going to track your time. We don't care. You can start at 10. You can start at 9. You can work till 11 p.m. You can cut off at 5. We don't care. But what we do care about is you produce exceptional work product and you do so meeting our deadlines. If you measure results instead of time, you can effectively manage a work from home group. Where a lot of employers get themselves into trouble is they rightfully suspect that the employee is eh, maybe going to the gym, maybe going to yoga, running errands, watching YouTube. They probably are doing that because let's be honest, even when we're in the office, is anyone really plugged in 100% the full eight hours? Mm-hmm. Not really, exactly. except yeah. we've exchanged water cooler gossip for, you know, watching a YouTube video. So instead of having this reaction where we say, oh, no, they're, they're distracted. We need to put uh, productivity software in their computer. We want their cameras on. We want them checking in every 15 minutes. We need to measure keystrokes. That's you're you're attacking the wrong problem. But legal, you know, right? I mean, it's legal to, to it's count legal. keystrokes. Maybe it, not effective, legal. but it is legal. It is legal, uh, but I don't think it's an effective leadership right. tactic. Instead, right. you got to focus on productivity and results. Because yeah. I, I, truly, I, I, I have a number of employees, and I, I genuinely do not care how much they work every week. All I mm-hmm. care about is that they produce exceptional work product that meets my standard, and they meet their deadlines. I love it. What else matters? Yeah, that's true. And the 40-hour number, I don't know who came up with 40 hours, but it I think it's an arbitrary number that just became the norm, but but who knows. So, you know, it made sense in the early 20th century when, you know, we had so many people doing factory work when Americans were really starting to urbanize, people were getting jobs, they were getting away from the farms working in the factories and you knew that if I for every hour an employee is sitting on the assembly line, that's x number of units that are coming out. So there's a direct correlation to time in and product out. But as technology is increasing, as the productivity of every worker is rising, yes, we had a decline at the beginning of this quarter. Bureau of Labor Statistics released that worker productivity did decline, but on the whole, and that's because of average, TikTok. <laughs> it could be, you know, there's been some interesting theories that it might actually be because of useless Zoom meetings, but we can that talk could, about that, that in a yeah, minute. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's been some interesting theories about why that is, but the point is, since records were beginning to be reported in 1947, worker productivity has almost doubled. The average American worker is not quite, but almost twice as productive as the average worker in 1947. That's because we have a more educated workforce on the whole. And even the least educated, least skilled employee has some technical savvy. They can use their iPhone. They can use computers. They can use basic technologies that increase their productivity. So what's the point of all this? A 40-hour work week may not make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. Because a worker can be so productive with less time. Yeah, yeah, perfect. So before we get to the last question, I wanted to give a lot of kudos to you because it's easy as a business owner to say, this dude is an attorney and he just makes tons of money from suing business owners because he's all for the employees. 
but you are actually for both. And it's very refreshing that, you know, generally speaking, you're representing employees, but you're very sympathetic to good business. Now, there are plenty of bad business owners that deserve to get sued, but you have a heart for the business owners that I really, really appreciate. And I appreciate this information because it's going to protect me and other small business owners. So I just, I wanted to to give a compliment because I think what you're doing is really great. That's really kind of you, David. I appreciate it. And look, I'm an entrepreneur. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, I I like the idea of someone taking a big risk. You have a dream. You want to build a restaurant. You want to build a business. You you have an invention you want to bring to market. Uh, I've done it before and I've helped people do it. It, it is hard and it requires you to dig deep into yourself and, and become a better version of yourself. And I support entrepreneurs a thousand percent. I support business owners a thousand percent. That's why I offer my services to them, often at, at pretty good prices too. Uh, not the cheapest deal in town, but I, I offer a very fair rate for these people because I want them to succeed. And look, I've also been an employee. I've been a uh, you know, a laborer. I've I've had a number of jobs, and I know what it's like to get mistreated, and to have my wages stolen, and to be abused. So my heart goes out to them too. I think fundamentally, what I care about is everyone has a fair opportunity to pursue their dreams and to pursue a career that suits them, free from abuse, free from being sexually harassed, being racially profiled, having anything stolen from them, and that's why. You know, if an entrepreneur comes to me and says, Ryan, I've got 15 employees. I, I feel like my house is on fire every day. I don't know what to do. I will help that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, perfect. No, I love it. So awesome. So the last question, and, and you and I didn't 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 discuss this, but we are the weekly wealth podcast. And we talk about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies that can help you to build and maintain wealth. And one of the ways to maintain wealth is to not get sued. So I appreciate uh this information, but I'd like to know, Attorney Ryan, what is your definition of wealth? So for you, your family, what does true wealth mean? It's an excellent question. To me, true wealth, it's two things, really. It's control over my time. For the longest time that I've been alive, I had zero control over my time. None. Only recently maybe the past two years where my business really started producing, the hard work started paying off, did I notice, wow, I have control over my time. If I need a day off, I can take a day off and my business will run without me. I can take a week vacation and my business will run without me. It won't run indefinitely without me. Right. But to have the freedom to, in the middle, in you know, 11 a.m. on a Wednesday, uh, go visit my mother, Mm -hmm. to go have lunch with a friend. That to me is wealth. That is wealth. That's a very exciting part of your life when, when things start paying off and you can do that. I think the other side to wealth would be the freedom and privilege to pursue your interests. I love being CEO of Centurion Trial Attorneys, and I love that I have the wealth and freedom to pursue this. Uh, so what is wealth? It's autonomy. It's control over your time. It's the ability to pursue your interests. 
So you've not broken the streak. I've I've not yet. And I think I've asked 70 guests this question. Nobody's given me a dollar amount yet. So, uh, and it's always some That's version of freedom. It is, it is. Yeah, well, it, you know, uh, wealth to one could be poverty to another. I'm sure if Jeff Bezos woke up with my bank account, he'd mm-hmm. probably have a stroke. Uh, yeah. But I'm perfectly happy with what I have. So, you know, yeah. it's really subjective. Yep, absolutely. No question. So, Tell our listeners, as we wrap it up, where they can find you, what your TikTok channel name is, so we can get you another million million followers, <laughs> and a little bit about you know how you um, uh, how you might even be able to help business owners and where to find you. Absolutely. Well, I'm easy to find. There's a lot of fakes on TikTok, but I am at Attorney Ryan, A-T-T-O-R-N-E-Y-R-Y-A-N, Attorney Ryan. I'm also at Attorney Ryan on Instagram. On TikTok, I'm at the underscore labor lawyer. And you can find me on centuriantrialattorneys.com. That's our firm website. Fill out a contact form. Tell us what you need help with, and we'll put you in the right direction. Perfect. I love it. So this has just been an incredible uh, episode with value to both sides, value to the employees, value to the employers. So I cannot thank you enough for your time, for your expertise. And uh, hey, everybody, uh, check it out. Uh, Check out the TikTok channel. Check out the Instagram channel. Um, And until next episode, we wish everybody a blessed week. And thank you, Attorney Ryan. Thank you, David. The information contained herein, including but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other material obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completedness. The materials are provided for informational purposes only. It should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results.